Hey, out the city. I'm your host, Prince Electro Diamond, and today I am here with Denver drag queen and host of Just Talks, Jessica Lahore, who can be seen Wednesday at Hamburger Mary's Denver at 7 p.m., can be seen Saturday at Hamburger's Mary's Denver Brunch at 10.30 a.m. and 1 p.m., can be seen Saturday at Summit Tacos at 4.30 p.m., can be seen Sunday for brunch at Milk Market at 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and can be seen Sunday night at Left Hand Brewing Company from 6 to 8 p.m. How you doing today, Bev? I'm doing so good. How are you? I'm good. God, I <laughs> I will say, looking at your schedule, I will never complain about having to do this podcast again. Because <laughs> oh man, it's not that scary. It looks scarier than it actually looks. I promise. <laughs> work so where are you originally from uh so i grew up in the suburbs of chicago uh, as a kid and then moved out to colorado for eighth grade went to school college in fort collins which is about an hour away at csu and then moved down to denver uh, a couple years ago so colorado pretty much since eighth grade work so what was so what were you like growing up as a kid Oh my gosh. Um, growing up as a kid, definitely a uh, very extroverted individual with a lot of feelings. I went through a lot of like self-deprecating kind of things, I guess, as well. So tried to really discover who I was. I think internally knew that I was queer without actually knowing that I was queer, but I was in a super religious household. And so that wasn't really an option or like a thought process. Um, but as a kid, I was uh, a super adventurous, super laughing, uh, super uh, stupid humor, which is still something that I, I hold on to deep in now as like an adult. Um, very emotionally intelligent and very entrepreneurial, like even as a kid. So uh, definitely very active in a lot of ways. Work. I can totally say I understand the religious aspect of it. It's actually going to tie into my next question. So at least on my end too. Yeah. So what, so what was it like for you coming out? Oh my God, it was awful. Uh, at least the first time it was coming off out. So I didn't come out until I was probably, how old was I? I was maybe 24, 24 years old when I came out. Uh, I realized that I was kind of in the queer realm when I was about 18, 17, 18, but I didn't come out until I was 24. Uh, growing up in the household that I was, I was kind of threatened in a weird way that if I came out that it would cause more problems or that if I happened to be queer that it would cause more problems. And so to avoid conflict and to avoid any negative outcomes, I just kind of bottled up and stayed in the closet. Um, when I would come home from college or come home from school, I would completely separate myself a lot. I had like four different identities. And so I was a little bit more straight acting and dressed more straight, tried to talk differently um, to the best of my ability. When I go to school, I definitely was a little bit more expressive and myself authentically, but nobody in the drag world knew what I looked like or who I know what my name was out of drag. And then everybody in the real world had no idea I did drag. So I tried to keep everything very private, everything very uh, identity, very on the DL the whole time until wow. I came out. And then when I came out, I was in a position where um, I was, you know, we did family counseling for like two times. And on the second visit, uh, I could see so much pain. Like my mom was going through a lot. She's like, I feel like you don't talk to me and you lie to me and you don't come home. And I just didn't like seeing her like that. And so I tried to describe why I had not come out or my journey. And a lot of it was because of my dad. My dad 
uh, earlier, very early in my life, pretty much said that he would kill himself if he had a queer child. And so that restricted me from wanting to come out. And uh, then when I got to that family instance and I had an opportunity to kind of confront him about it, I pretty much gave him an opportunity to tell me that he loved me and that everything was going to be okay and that he cared about me. And I was like, just tell me that you love me. And he's like, well, if you say that I don't love you, then I guess I don't love you. And I decided to come out right then and there. I said, I have nothing to lose. I came out, I got up and I left and I have not seen him. I saw him once, once since then. And uh, everything has gotten significantly better. So the coming out day was really tough, really hard, and it got progressively better and better and better. But it was just really intense and like bottled up. So that's kind of my experience with coming out. I have almost a worse story than that. So, so okay. So I will say in some ways I was fortunate because I only had to come out to one parent because I came out four months after my mom died. So like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I only had to come out to my dad. And then, like, I have an older sister who I also came out to. And I also came out to a youth minister, which was a mistake. Yeah. And I told him about this, like, performance idea I had with a knife and how, like, I had practiced it. It was like, but all the stuff I was telling him was like dramatics, like drama type stuff. So. He left the room. He came back about 10 minutes later. He said, you have one of two options. Either you're coming with me or I'm calling the cops. Um, and I went with him to get a psych eval. I passed it. He like made up a bunch of stuff to make it seem like I was lying. And as a result, I got locked in a mental institution for 64 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's very intense. Mm -hmm. That's very intense. Yeah. And then once I got out, he tried to get me like this counselor to like pray the gay away. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A lot to try to, to manage and handle, especially at a younger age. Uh, well, I. Uh, I was I was a little bit younger than you, but not much. I came out at 18. So like mm -hmm. but even at 18, I feel like I wasn't prepared for that. Like I don't think actually in truth, I don't think at any age you were prepared for that. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And as I say, that was my arc out of religion i started like doing more research into the catholic church and like i just started seeing some stuff from like so y'all are saying that we're supposed to be like praying to god and all this but yet there's a little illuminati all-seeing eye in the vatican and like i'm supposed to just ignore that fact mm. that what y'all say is demonic you're like worshiping these kinds of questions were not accepted yeah they never are. Yeah. Totally. So what was it like for you moving to Denver? Um, it was kind of hard at first, but I feel like that's the same thing with any kind of kid that are moving to Colorado in general. So yeah. moving to Colorado was, you know, starting new, making new friends, uh, starting a new school. 
moving to Denver was not difficult because I was already in Colorado and already in Fort Collins. So at that point, I was an adult, I had a degree. I kind of was learning to, to move and get on my own or be on my own, find my own apartment. So I guess you go through the normal struggles that a lot of people go through when they're starting to get their first place and their first real job and right. um, trying to maneuver life as an adult and, and survival skills, but uh, nothing, nothing crazy by any means. Just I would say just like an adjustment. I mean, I can definitely, okay. So like Fort Collins in terms of like population between like Fort Collins and Denver, like what is smaller Fort Collins is significantly smaller than Denver. Yeah. So, I mean, I can kind of get that. So like, I live in Florida. I'm originally from South Florida. And then from South Florida, I moved to Orlando for four years. So, like, that was, like, definitely an adjustment moving, like, out on my own. So, I get that aspect. Unfortunately, I'm not in Orlando anymore. I'm back mm. at home, which kind of sucks. Mm. But, hopefully, temp hopefully temporary. Oh, no, it definitely is temporary. I... I in terms of me, like, being a queer person in Florida, I know that staying in Florida ain't the zhuzh at all. No, like, not really. Not with current things, especially. No, my plan is to... My next move would be to Atlanta. Which is, like, still in the South, but, like, Atlanta's, like, a little bit more, like, liberal in terms Absolutely. of, like significantly more liberal than literally anywhere in this state as i always i have been told by people and as i've said to people on this podcast you're thinking about moving to miami don't do it don't do it it's it's like if you wanted to move to miami like all your life you could have moved here 10 years ago i wouldn't recommend it now like yeah it's not the place right now florida especially if you're a queer person right so what was it like for you the first time you performed? Oh my gosh. Um, I consider the first time uh, in two different instances. The first time that I actually performed perform was at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. Um, I was still uh, very much on the DL, like I described earlier, but I really wanted to go on stage. I, it was one of the first larger shows that I experienced in, at university shows. There's a kind of a, a, a warm loving kind of piece to it where everyone that's at the show is supportive of everyone on the stage. It doesn't matter how new you are or how many times you've been doing it. They just are happy to see people perform. They just like to see performances. And so at that point, uh, very first performance, super scared. I remember my two best friends at the time were my backup dancers and I like squeezed my friend's hand because I was so terrified that I like, bruised her hand because i was squeezing it so tight wow. and then we performed we went through the the motions of it and i probably looked awful but i felt great on the stage even though i was nervous and shaky uh from there i was invited to do my first like paid show outside of the university and that one i had no idea what i was doing and it was pretty obvious that i didn't know what i was doing because i showed up i did my makeup at 18 minutes with Found liquid foundation and a little bit of powder and mascara and chapstick and uh, 
was a mess and the queens were reading me and try, I didn't understand it. And I was terrified to do two performance numbers and I didn't know how to perform the number. I didn't know how to collect tips. I felt weird about it. And so uh, it was just awkward, but I guess that's how a lot of people start and that's how you get better and better as you practice and, and do it more often. But the first and couple of times were very rough for me. Very, very rough. Wow. It's, I will say, like, I'll talk about my first time. So, like, yeah. crazily enough, I actually, I'm a, I always say, like, I am a, just having to be, like, a drag queen, but I'm more of, like, a musician. So, like, my first time actually, like, doing drag was at an open mic night. An open mic night? Okay. Yeah, yeah in, like, a, in, like, a straight bar. So, it's, like. That's really putting you through the ringer at the beginning. But. As I said, like patrons of the bar, some liked me, some didn't. Musicians liked me because of the fact that I was different. Mm, that's true. Because they were all doing like acoustic music and like I write electronic music. So like I was doing like original songs. Like, so that was just, as I said, because in some ways I was afraid to perform for gay people. Like, for queer people it's just because as you were just saying before queer people are extremely judgmental yeah they are really are it's like especially when you're like so new it took me probably about like a year to actually perform in a gay bar yeah it took a year yeah because it took that confidence and even even then i it took me like actually honestly moving back to south florida to like honestly get a gig where i first worked for tips so i i lived in orlando for as i said four years i made tips occasionally but it's like i was performing more places where i just like performed for the love of performing mm. Well, and I think that's important. I feel like if you don't have the love to do it, then you're you're not going to succeed as well. Like you have to have that love and passion to to keep doing it. It's exactly. It's literally like you said in one of your just talk videos. It's like I feel like if you want to, you didn't say this, but I feel like if you want to get into doing drag for money, you're going into it for the wrong reasons. Absolutely, it's not a make money fast. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not not how it really works or if your goal is like to like do drag for a year and then get on the next season of drag race like that's not it's not practical do i think it's impossible no but it's not necessarily practical of course not because you do look at people that have got on within a year of doing drag yeah and as i would have tell somebody if they were to do that those are usually the people who get eliminated first well, and there are a couple that have made yeah. it really far and become the fan favorites too. So I don't think, I think it has a lot to do with so many different factors. It's not necessarily about the experience. It's about what your unique factor is. It's about what your, your drive is to make it happen. But I would argue that, yeah, more times than not, it's going to be a little bit more difficult if you're a year in to try to get on drag race. Definitely. So So what's one of the, what's like the craziest proper outfit that you've designed? What do you mean proper outfit? As in like, have you, okay. So like, have, 
Okay. Well, do you make your own outfits or do you like buy outfits? It's a yes and. So I have made some things. I do a lot of designing and then I'll take my designs to more experienced artists that are professional seamstresses. Um, or I will scour the internet and piece looks together. But it just depends on what it is. Most of the stuff that I have made is not intricate. It's not super elaborate. It's, it's more so ready to wear super easy dresses or rompers or leotards. It's nothing crazy over the top. Work. See, I totally get that because I'm very much a like t-shirt t-shirt dress bodysuit queen. Like that's all I do. Like because <laughs> it's just I like being comfortable. Like mm. that's why like people who like corset themselves up, I'm like, I'm never doing that. Like <laughs> And that's totally okay, especially if that's yeah. not your drag. If that's everyone's drag is to each their own. So right. And I feel like especially like singing live it's better to like not like try and collapse in like what i need to breathe yeah. out of yeah it's gonna be harder for sure definitely so have you ever had someone steal one of your tips um i'm yeah i have and i it's fine like no it's not fine you should never steal anybody's money but i've had people steal my tips before i've had people that i found out later have still stolen my tips or my things and you know if the people that i've caught in the act of it i literally let them have it and just said obviously you need it more than i do but i just want you to know i'm probably gonna let the producer and the venue know so you probably won't be working here again it's yeah it's that's almost one of those things where it's like yes it's like part of the job but it's almost in some ways like you shouldn't have to tell people and this isn't just for drag queens this is like for go-go dancers anything you shouldn't have to tell mm -hmm. people that they shouldn't have to steal tips and that there's an appropriate way to touch people like i feel mm -hmm. like that's like common sense i'm saying this as someone who one time when i was performing i was just like sitting in the bar like waiting to do my next song and then somebody literally just like snatched my wig Oh, that's not see, and that's not okay. That's that's completely inappropriate. Consent is important when you're in any situation. It doesn't matter if you're a performer or not, but you just wouldn't go up to anybody and do that. Right. But we have to teach people. So yeah. So what's it like hosting bingo and doing drag brunches? Um, I love it. I, I love being on a microphone. So I've kind of come up with my own different routines and styles of how I like to host all of my shows. I would say that each show that I host regularly, even if you may not notice it, uh, is hosted different or has a different spin on it, depending on the venue and the location that I'm at. Um, and that's just outside of bingos and brunches. That's anytime I'm on a microphone. If I'm a keynote speaker, if I am just hosting an event as a whole, a benefit, uh, I'm doing one, a full drag show, if I'm doing an all ages event, I just enjoy being on the microphone a lot. I like controlling the experience that people are going to have and kind of guiding people through it and letting them know that they're in a safe space and that we're here to laugh and we're here to have a good time and also respect and enjoy the entertainment and I like being in control of that. I feel like I'm very good at it. And it's kind of, uh, I don't mind doing bingos back to back. People love coming to them. Sometimes they get yeah. repetitive and annoying, but same thing with brunches. I, I love creating a brunch experience to start people's day. So, okay. So in terms of like doing a um 
all ages show versus like a show that's like more adult do you have like set like certain things to like get you started to like start off if you get what i mean like because i know there's like riffing with the audience but like at some point i feel like you have to start somewhere right I mean, I just host it differently. I go as Miss Jessica instead of Jessica Lahore. My language goes immediately to G, barely PG rated. Um, the way that I interact with the crowds or the messages that I'm trying to uh, spread are significantly different. But I don't start it any differently than I would any other show. I just uh, am more cognizant of my language, more cognizant of how I'm showing up and, and what I'm wearing. And I try to really focus it on the experience for the kids rather than the artists that are in the show. Like It's more about them than it is about us. Right. It's interesting because I've, I will say, I've never been to a drag show that's like all ages. I've only like specifically gone out at night. So it's like, mm. or it's yeah, like, I, I even say as a performer, I don't think I'd be able to do all ages because like, it's like in some ways, I don't like censoring myself. The only way I will do it is like, if there's like a song that like I'm either like singing or rapping that has like the N word in it, I'll find a way to like censor that out. But like, other than that, I like just being free and open, but I guess. And I mean, to each their own. And I think that's kind of where it comes into what you want to do with your drag and your business and your art and how you want to express yourself and also what you're willing and not willing to do. And like, I would never encourage somebody that says, Oh, I can't do an all ages show and put them in my show for an all ages experience. I wouldn't do that to the audience and I wouldn't do that to the performer if they don't think they could handle it. Right. So what made you want to start doing just talks? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing just talks on my Instagram feed just in general in the mornings uh, just to kick off the day or express a thought. Um, I spent a lot of time doing mirror work even before I started doing it, quote unquote, perfect, not professionally, but more seriously. And just finding messages that I needed to hear myself or that I thought could be effective for other people. Uh, And then I started working with my marketing and my promotion team my management team and uh, was like, Hey, I really want to start a podcast. This is what I'm thinking I want to do. And we brainstorm different topics and ideas and try to figure out if they're things that I feel comfortable talking about and elaborating on. But they range from silly, stupid things to more serious conversations. And, and uh, I like the ability to, to share my opinions on something where it's not neglecting somebody else's thoughts, feelings, and opinions, but it does allow me a space to just be expressive about something, something fun, something different. I mean, yeah, that's, I feel like in some ways that's why like a lot of people, well, not, not a lot of people when starting like a podcast, I always say you have to have like a goal. And sometimes that goal changes. Like at the beginning of this year, I'd done a whole season of like, this podcast already and then like in january i said i'm tired of telling my stories i want to start interviewing people and like getting theirs yeah so absolutely and i mean you get more traction when you get to interact with other people too and you get a more conversational vibe you get more information it's it's nice and it's easier because like i could do like potentially an hour with an hour an hour and a half with somebody whereas like i don't feel i should do more than like a half an hour by myself just like Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. So, okay. 
to Jess Talks. So how do you come up with the topics that you do for Jess Talks? Yeah, so sometimes it'll just be stuff that I know that I want to speak on or talk about. Other times uh, it's what people have commented down below. I'll put a post out on Facebook or Instagram or even on some of the YouTube videos that are posted because we double up. We put the video version on YouTube for my channel and then the Just yeah. Talk version of it, the audio on Spotify and Apple Music. So people can comment below what they would want to hear my opinions or thoughts on. Um, but then I have a marketing meeting every week with my team. And then at the beginning of the month, we'll usually go through, sit there and just sh you know share ideas. No idea is a bad idea. And we'll pick out yeah. the ones that, that kind of stick the best or that I feel most comfortable or most excited to talk about. So is it that like you okay so i realized like doing research on you obviously so like a lot of them are short is it is it because you just want to do it and like keep it short or is it just you have you don't have the time to like do like a half an hour or something like that i think it's a it, it depends on what the topic is i think that because this is season one and it's my first time doing a podcast that we kept them short because that's what naturally came out we didn't force the conversation to be longer um, as we're filming season two, most of these episodes are going to be 20 to 40 minutes. So I think a lot of it was, you know, the initial, the initial set and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with them. And now that we're progressing and making them better, making the quality better and the topics a little bit more fun, I'm able to, to speak on them a little bit more. Work. Yeah. So it just depends. No intention to keep them shorter. Uh, originally we kept them shorter because, uh, it was easier to produce multiple of them in one sitting. It was, it was natural to end the conversation when it ended. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, at some point, like I get that. Cause like, if you, if you keep it going too long, eventually you start like, just like dabbling and like. Absolutely. You have, to figure, you have to figure out how to like end it. Mm -hmm. That's always like awkward. Exactly. So, where am I? Oh, so what has your dating life been like before and after doing drag or like um, starting drag? I think dating and drag is always difficult in general. Like, that's not a stigma that is untrue. People are confused by it, or there's just a lot of internal aggression against other marginalized groups in the queer community so drag queens are too effeminate or they don't want to deal with the the kind of the spotlight of it in a lot of ways and that's not how i treat my partners but i've dated a lot more confidently um in the last two years um i had a long-term relationship of almost five years for the majority of my 20s wow. and the majority of my drag uh drag years and then we broke up i was single for maybe a year maybe a little maybe a year a little more than a year started dating yeah. another, another guy we got together we ended up breaking up but we're still technically together it's weird we broke up in january but we live together and we date each other and um we're just happy existing together so um people hit on jessica people are just now recently hitting on zach out of drag but it's it's just very varied it just depends on what their intention is and if they're a chaser or if they're actually interested and 
I'm not really looking for that right now either. So I'm looking for more friendship than companionship. Yeah. But a lot of people can't handle it. I mean, I'm a very, I'm not high maintenance. I am high, high maintenance, but I'm not, uh, I'm very, I'm a very intense and very forward, blunt personality in and out of drag. I'm a very, this is how I run things. And I'm probably a weird exception to a lot of partnered drag queens where they rely on their partner a lot. A lot of drag queens in relationships have the drag husband or the drag boyfriend is what we'll call it. And they help them with everything. They carry all their bags. They, they help them with their tights. They do everything for them. And I'm very much an independent woman. I do everything for myself. And it is very rare if I ask for help. It's very rare. I mean, works. Same, same here. Because, like, honestly, most of my time doing drag, I've been single. So, like, I've had to do everything myself. Yeah. I you was in... Know. It's just easy. You just never know when, when you're not going to be have someone to help you. You got to do, yeah. do it on your own. Yeah. I've literally had one relationship, like, long-term. Well, I say long-term. We were together a year. But it's, like, weird because, like, in the middle of, like, us dating they all of a sudden wanted to start doing drag and then like oh as... i will not date another drag entertainer but no this 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 part gets worse so then after we well actually they after they moved their stuff out of my apartment we were living together they basically came out in a letter to me and told me that they were transitioning oh that's exciting and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm so glad I was with you, but I have to go leave and like, go on my journey. And it's, it's, it's not like I hadn't asked, because I kind of had like a feeling. But yeah, everyone's experience with transitioning is very different yeah. too, and, and their comfort levels. Right. Totally. So... Have you ever suffered with body insecurities? Oh, yeah. The majority of my life, up until probably about three years ago, I uh, went through anorexia, bulimia, body dysmorphia, uh, eating disorders. Uh, it was pretty bad for a while. Wow. Yeah, for the majority of my life. Uh, super depressing, and it got really unhealthy. It got really uh, toxic. It got to the point where... I hated everything about myself from my voice to my eye color to um, my arms to my stomach and I wanted to change and alter everything and the insecurity got so intense that uh, it almost ended my life and it was awful. It was just really, it was really bad for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I will say obviously like being a bigger person, especially in the queer community, I definitely have because it's like you see everyone well I shouldn't say everyone looks the same but like almost everyone looks the same and it's like that's just how that wasn't how I was so it's like I have this like so I'm six foot three I had this like unrealistic weight of I should weigh 150 mm. at six foot three that's literally not even healthy in the slightest like no and it was just, it was like through, it was through actually when I started like dating guys and like started 
So for me, I always say like, I am someone who's very much a proponent of like dating outside of your race. Cause I pretty much have for all of my dating history. So it's like when I started like dating black guys and all of a sudden they were into the fact that I was bigger. That's where I like started getting more security in myself and started realizing that like, it's okay that you don't look like everybody else. It actually makes you like more interesting. 100%. Yeah. So what's your relationship with drugs and alcohol? Um, I consider myself a very aware human in terms of drugs and alcohol. I've never had issues. I think alcoholism and drug abuse do run in my family in some, in some ways, but I'm, I'm very, uh, self-aware in terms of substance use. Uh, I do like to smoke weed and I'm a stoner. Um, I do like drinking alcohol and I will drink when I feel like it. Um, Drug use is not really my thing. Occasionally, like mushrooms or something I'll do, like a psychedelic, but that's very far no. in between. Um, but I go through phases. Uh, however, I feel like I need to uh, to do to, to do things. So, for example, for June, the month of June, every last year, this year, and pretty much every June, I don't drink and I don't smoke weed. I don't do anything. I do have a better diet and I exercise. And then at the end of the month I celebrate and I'll smoke and I'll drink, but I don't do any of that in the month of June leading up to my birthday, which was a couple of weeks ago. I partied pretty hard because I wanted to close out my twenties. Um, but I, yeah, I'm a high, I can function very well. I'm not an abusive person when it comes to drinking too much or anything like that either. Oh, work. So your, your birthday's in June too. So is mine. I'm literally, mine was in May. Oh, yours is in May. Oh, Okay. Yeah. My birthday is, um, I know that like, so you probably just turned 30, right? Yep. So I'm, ju- I'm barely, I'm turning 29 in like two weeks. So like happy early birthday. Thank you. So, I mean, I get what you're saying about like not wanting to drink too much. Cause also at least from what you've said, you're someone who like likes to do stuff in the morning, right? Um, I like to do things all yeah. all day. Well, <laughs> well, you well, I mean, okay, yeah, you said you were an all day person, but yeah. you like getting like your errands done in the morning. I get I like, that. I like starting my day early, yes. I mean, I'm definitely I'm that person who like. So I have like a job where I have to be to work at seven a.m. So like, in order to like exercise, I get up at like four a.m. to like do all this stuff so i mean i get i get i get being up early i am a person who also goes to bed kind of early like Mm. just because well also like especially like being in the town that i'm in everything except for bars here closes at 11 p.m so it's like i don't see anyway yeah so it's like i don't see the point of like being up till midnight 2 a.m for no reason Anyway, so what are your thoughts on how the LGBT community is being treated today? I mean, it's awful. Um, the LG- I think the community in general has been treated awful for many, many, many years, and it's just continuing to progress and get worse and worse and worse, unfortunately, even with small successes. Um, 
in general, people are very much afraid of what they don't understand. And I think that that fear is then driving a lot of this violence and hate. And they're uh, projecting a lot of the things, a lot of the issues that are easier to comprehend that aren't actual issues. And they're deterring away from bigger problems that they don't comprehend because they can't have conversations about them. So this idea that drag queens are groomers and that this is a new thing, uh, drag queens have been around forever and always. They've been around for a very long time. Um, but I can tell you right now that everyone can have an opinion on a drag queen, but majority of people don't know anything or statistics or any kind of facts about gun violence and how to help resolve gun violence or any of the other issues that are going around that are actually affecting children. So uh, yeah, the attacks on the queer drag and trans community is pretty awful. It's, it's getting worse. It's getting scary. This month has been a proof that it's scary. Um, yeah. And it just seems like people in power as much as they're, trying to create safe spaces there are more people in power that are trying to uh remove safe spaces it's almost like as you say with like drag queens it's like they almost don't get the fact that like a lot of them like not necessarily like drag queens but they like people who have been in drag before like some of straight people's favorite movies are like mrs mrs doubtfire and like Medea. Yeah, those are literally drag queens. Like, yep. But it's just, I see it, and like, as you said, like the the gun problem is what people should be focusing on, but instead they'd rather like focus on like trying to tear down drag queens. So. It is okay if I remember correctly. It is kind of conservative in Colorado, right? Uh, it's pretty liberal in Colorado. It's a oh. blue state. Oh yeah, I always think about that because, like, when I think of Colorado, the first person I think of is Lauren Boebert. And like, I mean, Lauren Boebert's a stupid bitch who's conservative, yeah. but she doesn't represent the there's end Colorado. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Okay, so for my final question is, what's the biggest misconception about you? Um, I think the biggest misconception about me is that uh, I'm emotionless and that I don't have feelings or uh, the ability to have emotionally based interactions, relationships, and conversations with people. Um, I'm very work oriented, very straightforward, very blunt, like I, I like I've described. But um, there's yeah. a lot more behind that. Uh, I can be fun, I can be energetic and exciting, and all of the things that you would want. But I don't usually get to that experience with a lot of people because a lot of folks would rather use me for opportunity rather than to uh, the opportunity to get to know me. They know I have connections. They know that I'm well-versed and connected to people. And that's that's where they drive their interactions with me majority of the time. Is it also that, like, some people assume, like, especially who know drag queens, is that they assume that you're automatically catty because you are a drag queen, because so many are? Mm, I wouldn't say that's that my my response. I, I, would, I would say that a lot of people get that, that, remark like oh you're in drag so you're cunty catty sassy but i wouldn't say that's my personal experience no i mean 
I get that. I honestly say, like, in terms of, like, drag friends that I have, I have two, and they're literally both my drag sisters. And it's because, mm. like, I don't like that, like, cattiness of, like, drama. I'm not, like, a drama person. Like, I don't like it either. It's unnecessary. And as you, like, pointed out, especially for, like, newer queens, if you think, like, that's what you should be going into, like, being dragged doing it's like you're going into it for the wrong reasons and also it's like there's a there's a way of like making it like making like being shady and being funny and then there's like a way of like just being a bitch a hundred percent i feel like a lot of people just don't get that they don't get that or they think they're being funny but they're really just being really rude or disrespectful or um they're they're just being inappropriate really Totally. So work. So work. I actually went through, I went through everything. Again, awesome. thank you. Thank you for coming on here. I was I actually will admit you were actually suggested to to me by somebody, and I'm like glad that they did. Was that Sarah? Yeah. Sarah's wonderful. I'm so glad that you uh, reached out and that we made it work. And I can't wait until we get to see the episode when it's all aired and stuff. Definitely. And I'll obviously like just tag you and everything. Yeah, please. So with that being said, this is Gay Out the City. I'm your host, Prince Electro Diamond, and I hope you've enjoyed. Bye. Bye.